Welcome to the Beth and Kelly Show, a weekly Facebook Live conversation between Beth Fortune and Kelly Klingen. That's me. And we've made it into a podcast. Beth Fortune currently serves as Education Director at Wintergrass, the National American String Teachers Association Board, and Chair of the National Council for Orchestral Education. I currently serve as Education Director at Jazz Ed the Washington president at Jazz Education Network and Jazz Curriculum Officer for Washington Music Educators Association. We have a platform and we really want to leverage it for positive change. Please hit us up. Let's have a conversation and uh, let's move our practice as music educators forward. Beth and Kelly are back. We've been having some really awesome guests lately, and today's set of guests is right along the same lines, Um, and we're super stoked to hear some really neat perspectives from what we like to call a music ed power couple. People out there totally, totally rocking it in the music ed world, Um, and are positioned in beautiful Eastern Washington at WSU, Washington State University. Making I don't up, think I've ever said that out loud. Washington I know. State, you know. It's just wazoo. Wazoo. Um, out in beautiful Eastern Washington, um, wine country. And they are... Um, faculty of the music program together. And, and um, we've got Ruth Bowden, who is part of the string faculty. Um, you do the cello studio and what other, what other stuff in the program do you do, Ruth? So I also do our classical bass studio. Okay. And I coordinate and coach all of our chamber music and teach uh, first year freshman theory. Man, you're like the best person for those freshmen to meet. Oh my goodness, that's so cool. And then we've got Dean Lethe, who is the choral um, choral specialist and music ed person at at WSU. And others, what other stuff do you do? So uh, I'm currently about to end my term as director of the School of Music. Okay, WSU. And then uh, I'm also the director of choral activities. So fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Choral activities. Choral activities, mm-hmm. of which there are many. And we were really lucky to recently be hosting your choir at our high school, Ballard High School. So that was neat to run into you in person because yeah. Dean and I also spend a lot of time online because both of us chair a council for NAFME and Dean is the choir chair, um, choir council chair. And um, both of us are doing what we can to help move our organization forward. So welcome to the show. We are super excited to have you. Um, So um, both of you are really, I've, I've seen you do your work and the things that you do and the, the directions that you like to take. Both of you have kind of a, a real, an interesting take on um, like the philosophy of music ed. So I would just love for both of you to kind of talk a little bit about it. Um, what, what is it that drives you in this work? Do you want to go first? This is like the first time we've had two people in the same screen, I think. Right. Yeah. Which is good. You have that on your resume. Yeah. Yeah. First Kelly Show, uh, one window, you know. Yeah. yeah. It's funny because the last Music Ed Power couple we had on the show, like they each went into a separate room of their house and logged in. (laughs) <laughs> we were worried about doing that for the internet connection yeah okay it. it might crash <laughs> which is the name of one of our cats so right yeah so I, I i guess for me um i don't know i started playing cello in fourth grade and it was through public school 
And it happened at a time in my life that I was really antsy and starting to develop some like behavior issues and boredom issues in classes. And the, the day that someone recognized the fact that if you like put an instrument in my hand, that you gave me all the control over something that I could do, like input in, input out. It was like, as much time as I spent practicing, I saw the rewards. And it was such a game changer for me to actually get through school successfully, just Mm. because I had this one aspect that I could totally control. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I mean, as much as anyone can control music, but it's like, truly, it's like, however you, however much you practice is what you get back out. Mm -hmm. And you can't cram music, you can't do anything like that. And so that became like a real focus for me in a really cool way because it was also super creative and different. And I felt like anything that I couldn't say in the classroom, I could play through my cello. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, for me then going into music education, it was like, oh my gosh, there, how many, how many kids could we help that have these same kind of issues? It's like, can't really focus in class or whatever it is and it's like you give them an instrument and you give them the pathway and all of a sudden it's like they become totally new people yeah and I think that was that was kind of like the impetus for me in terms of just education and sharing the passion of how it had helped my life along yeah yeah um so um I guess my my philosophy in music education, especially when it comes to choral music, this isn't a, a better or worse situation, but speaking to choral, um, I think we're going to have a cat here join us. Nice. All right. But um, working with choral students, we have an opportunity here to affirm something very basic and primal, and that is someone's voice you know so um if you were to say um let's just say band world okay here we go band world you ready it's it's time for i think that that we could hear a little bit more trumpet or the trumpet's a little sharp do you ever see a trumpet person go and and look at their trumpet or total beginners (laughs) which is hysterical every time yeah, it's like what's what's happening with you? And you're like, no, no, you push down the right button. <laughs> right, yeah. So or whatever. <laughs> so that's exactly right. But there's an instinct there that, that okay, uh, I I gotta tune up on my cello or I gotta whatever. It's, it's good posture. I, oh, good. Yeah, awesome. I, I gotta do this, and there's a component there where um, there is uh, outside um, bit of hardware that I have to manipulate in order to do this. And for the voice, it's a different thing. Um, you're saying my voice is bad. Mm. My mom and dad gave me this. What are you talking about? Mm. You know, and so it's something very personal. It's not necessarily my voice is bad. It's that there's something wrong with me. And that is a beautiful and sometimes difficult thing to deal with when it comes to singers. And um, so to affirm someone in the space in the choral classroom, to uh, say that you have a place to vocalize in so many ways in which people can't say what they want to say or be who they want to be through their words. This is a place where your voice is heard and we want to hear it. That's, that's why we're, we're in choir. So uh, to allow for a space for someone to even to say, what, what are you singing? I'd like to hear that more, more, sing it louder to say, we want your voice louder and broader and we want it to improve and we're here to help you. Um, affirms the being, affirms the person, affirms the student. And so that's what I like about choir. And mm-hmm. so you have a whole bunch of people doing this together. There's a synergy, there is a community activity in which we're all, voicing together i guess that is something special i love about choir so uh to build spaces that allow for that sort of inclusion and again there there's 
there's this is a a good and a bad thing you're you're of this culture doesn't matter you're a part of us or you are of this culture thank you bring that into the classroom does that make sense it's both a wonderful thing we want that culture in here and no matter your background we also want you in here does that make sense we want to affirm who you are including those oh idiosyncrasies you bring in and the good yeah yeah Mm. Like you're welcome here, like no matter what, whoever you are, you, you don't have to check anything at the door to be in here. And if I were to say this phrase, I think it encapsulates everything I'm talking about. In this space, you have a voice. Yeah. You know, um, hearing both of you talk right now is making me think about the conversation I had with my freshman orchestra this afternoon and this is a group of kids who is very capable like they actually probably play in a more advanced way than even like the next level up the the symphonic orchestra but they like literally use at most an inch of bow and it's like (laughs) They play so quiet, man. Like it is like so quiet and, but you know, they're rocking a fantastic Mozart quartet with chamber technique um, and playing it right on all the little trills, all the little things, Mm -hmm. but they're doing it piano, you know? Um, (laughs) And so today I found a video of um, there's this amazing string pedagogue, Mimi Zweig, who um, has kind of a, she has a, a school, like she was given a space at Jacob's um, School of Music, that conservatory. She was given a space to start a school for young students, like preschool age and up to learn her like method of It's mostly upper strings, I think. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, she has this ensemble called the Virtuosi, which is basically the kids that have moved from preschool all the way up to like later high school. And these are kids who are- The kids can play, I imagine. The kids kids can play, okay? (laughs) And I saw them at the ASTA conference a couple of years ago and, like I, you know, I went in, sat down and I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty good at chamber orchestra skills. Like I can teach the heck out of a chamber orchestra, but then these kids come out and it was like a whole new game, man. Like this is a whole new thing. Mm -hmm. These kids are, they embody the music. There is nothing that they are hiding behind. Mm -hmm. And when we watched that video today, one of the kids raised their hand and they were like, I feel like we're alone sometimes when we're playing our instruments together. Mm. Like they're hiding behind their instrument. They're hiding behind their music stand. They're not looking up. They're using an inch of bow. Mm -hmm. And I said, what's different between us and them? And eight inches. Yeah, yeah, I know. (laughs) So, you know, I will say this though, too. I think that coming out of COVID, the the one thing that has changed has been sound production. Mm-hmm. Because the, the space that we play in is so small mm-hmm. and there was consideration for someone has a meeting in another room, so I'm going to play kind of softly. Mm-hmm. So I just adjudicated a festival this week and it was like, it was exactly what you were talking about. Like phenomenal players yeah, using like next to no bow. And it was like, okay, so we're in a sanctuary. Can we fill the space? Yeah. And I don't know, maybe if, if the weather's nice enough, take, take your groups outside and just maybe. ask them to try and fill the landscape with space. And like, how much bow does that take right now? Because right. It's just a different world than they're kind of used to in the last couple of years. Yeah. I just keep forgetting. It's like, oh yeah, you were sitting in front of like a small... Yeah, small computer doing small things that we couldn't really see 
you know, even as I sit here, it's like, you can't see how far out I'm going my bow. I could be mm-hmm. using right. like two inches. And so. Mm-hmm. And this group of kids, of course, like this year's ninth graders and 10th graders are the people who got the brunt of, of the right. pandemic. Yeah. It was those formative middle school years that were missed. You yes. know, my and own then, kid missed those years. My favorite year, like my, I'm a specialist in that time, you know? Well, I guess it was cool that she was home with me. <laughs> so yeah. Kelly's daughter plays the trombone, just like Kelly. Yes. And um, so did me play all soft and stuff during well, that time? Uh, yeah, but all, but also I can't say necessarily that it's because of covid because she doesn't <clears throat> her dad is also a trombonist um and he has perfect pitch which is no fair and her dad and i play <laughs> in the same band uh we have a gig tonight and um anyway but we're at separate houses so she practices almost exclusively at her dad's house where she has the downstairs and nothing else is there but like the laundry room so there's like that sound privacy buffer Uh and at my house it's like a little open floor plan bungalow there's like no alone space and i'm a music teacher um And so uh, she doesn't like practicing here. Let's say it's been just in the last two months that she has started practicing at mom's house as she's preparing for her um, Garfield jazz audition next week. There's been some practice with mom and like, hey, mom, you're a jazz teacher. Let's work on this. It's been so dope. <laughs> that is so great. It's that like so great. She's been doing this thing for like five years now, and I have not gotten to experience a lot of it. Well, it's almost like we're we're all just getting warmed up. Dean, yeah. did you did you experience this with singers? Oh, it, it okay. So it's still trying to come to terms with this. And now uh, there's a couple of perspectives here from the singer's point of view and the director's point of view. So from the singer's point of view, it's uh, okay. We did a virtual choir for a year. Mm-hmm. And um, in that space, we are like, okay, let's warm up. I'm at the piano and I'm, you know, modeling up a half step, up a half step and so on and so forth. And they're muted and they're singing and they're singing in whatever space they are, you know? And again, it's tough because we have kids that, sorry, WSU students. I love you. You're my kids. (laughs) But we have students that, um, that feel safe and wonderful singing full throated. If you want to use that term, I guess I just did. I'll use that term full throated. Um, in uh in our space in the choir is room. that a real choir teacher term no, no. <laughs> i was gonna say you could never say that in a middle school classroom ever that can't be a choir thing i would have heard you can it. say it on the beth and kelly show so. you can i'm muting myself to avoid any any inappropriateness <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't say that in pedagogically. I don't know if that, that works either. But but, <laughs> but so uh, in our in our classroom, it just they they sing out because hey, this person's singing out, and because this person's singing out, I can sing out. And in the next room, it, that's a beautiful space. We work on that. It's community. It's you have a place here. Sing out, and that kind of uh, freedom and feeling um, for many, many reasons, many reasons and legitimately, um, people may not feel that freedom even in front of immediate family, dad, mom, Mm -hmm. brother, sister, cousin, auntie, teal, doesn't matter. I think especially in front of families. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And so um, for them to come back, and what I mean is come back into our space. Uh, it started with masks. And yeah. so there is something about that too, which is just unsettling uh, um, psychologically. And again, even with strings. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just thinking that 
again, from a student's point of view, you can sing like this and maybe just maybe you're safe that the thing that you're doing, your voice, your actual voice. And we talked about how personal this is at the beginning of the show. This thing is maybe okay to do in front of others, but maybe not. And you may make them sick. And you may make them sick enough that they can't go home and their grandma or grandpa is going to maybe really get this and be very, very sick, you know? So there's something about this to say, everybody, let's go to the back to the classroom. No matter what you do, you got to have that trumpet mute in. You got to have your mute on no matter what, because your sound may not be safe. And that's, that's tough. And so then let's turn turn it up around for the choir director. It's okay. I can't really hear basses and tenors that well, but the sopranos and altos they cut through is better. So asking the tenors and basses, we need just a little bit more here. I don't know if you'd take off that mask if wow that's unhealthy singing because I'm asking them to sing maybe too much, but. So, and then masks treat the color so differently. And so in a way, in a healthy way that choir directors do, we uh, alter the tone, alter the timbre to fit pieces, to fit space, to all of this stuff. And we're doing that for the fact, not for their true voice, but for the mask that's on their face. And so that's a tough thing. And then at performance, we were able to take the masks off. This is a bad thing and a good thing because suddenly we hear the choir without masks and for the choir director, it is such a beautiful moment. It's just like, oh my gosh, uh, this is wonderful. Now we're done with the concert. Shut up, put your music or put your mask back. (laughs) You know, I mean, so it's, it's, it's really strange. And so, um, nearing the end of the year, we were able to work up without masks and Yeah. We, uh, how can I say it? It's just, let's work with their true sound, which is lovely. So, so that's all the interesting and difficult and challenging ways in which voices uh, and choir students and had to deal with this at home. It's, it's interesting because so for, for choir, it's like they could still remain a little anonymous. in terms of their personal sound. Yeah, that's true. Where, and, and I think brass and winds too, because you still had bell covers, you still had mm-hmm. a number of things that masked the sound as well. And for string players, it was like, well, no one can really see me, but everybody can still hear exactly what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that's where some of this, this smaller sound kind I of- I think so. I think, and also like, people can't see each other's facial expressions, so we don't get the benefit of just the intuitive emotion reading and like nonverbal communication that we normally can do. So I've been pretty consistent about masks um, consistently. I'm I'm still pretty much wearing it, A, because COVID is going around in our building right now a lot, but B, because it just seems like the majority of my students still wear them. So I have been trying to just kind of go with the flow, even though I desperately am needing a break from that. And maybe that's one of the reasons why I'm taking a sabbatical next year. But um, I feel like when I did experiment a few times, taking the mask off in that freshman group, because I, we meet in a space that has a lot of air. Um, I felt like I saw the kids connect with me so much more mm. on those teaching days. Like mm. we were exchanging smiles and like I saw giggles and like I was able to communicate. Like I felt like I was really on a roll, you know, with what I was saying, you know. And what I realized was they were getting the other half of my face. And like that type of communication. And 
I just, I, I realized in that moment how very critical that is. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's huge. I mean, my theory students, um, first semester, we were all masked. Mm -hmm. Second semester, we came back and we moved to no masks. And one of my theory students was like, oh my gosh, we just thought you were mean, but you're just sarcastic. We just couldn't tell just from your yes. eyes. Tell. And I was like, yes, I'm very sarcastic. <laughs> they were like, and they were like, but see, your mouth is what actually sells it. And it was exactly. like, oh, this is really sad, but okay. <laughs> and I am known for my facial expressions, right? Oh my so, gosh. Yes, you are. As am I. Yes. We're I mean, Tilly and I together look oh out, man. It's ridiculous. And uh, we're also famous for this thing we call freeze face, <laughs> which is um, when you make the face, but you stick the landing, you really, you know, you put a fermata on that thing. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> When you are addressing 200 middle schoolers, it is the most effective tool to drive a point home. Uh, just stick in a freeze face for a minute. It's the best. It, yeah, it I, works. I you know, like the kids like, uh, Miss Fortune, there's a concert tomorrow. <laughs> so look, you just do that. Mine's, a little, mine's more like <laughs> <laughs> I get what you mean. <laughs> I had an unfortunate uh lovely and funny uh <laughs> encounter wearing my mask. So uh we were doing a recruitment tour. Uh the coordinator of choral music education and the associate director of choral activities at WSU, Matthew Myers. Um, we were doing a recruitment tour to the Vancouver area this fall. And we were wearing masks and we were doing our thing. And there was a certain point, again, sometimes you want to model the vowel shape. Oh, it should be like this and so on and so forth. So I didn't sing. I didn't sing, but I removed my mask, showed the vowel shape and put it back on. <laughs> and uh, when I removed my mask, I heard, oh. <laughs> and and uh, I, heard, I heard someone say, I, I didn't expect that. <laughs> and I thought, you, you know how it is. Like you say something stupid in front of a class. Like for example, my high school, when I taught high school, this happened once and only once. Everybody pick, take a big giant breast here. Breath, take a big <laughs> giant breath here. And, I, and you just keep going. You just keep going yeah, because yeah. you don't dwell on it. You just keep going. So I heard that all, oh, like I heard that and I'm like, Keep going, keep going. <laughs> oh my God. I would have stopped and we would have had a hilarious, I would have died of laughter and I would have been like, I get it. It's disappointing. Like we would have had a whole thing about it. And, and the thing I is, wouldn't have been able to keep my composure. If it would have been with, with my students, my freshman class or whatever, I would have just said, hey, y'all, let's talk about this. But it was recruiting and I was like, I don't know these kids. And I'm just like, let's go on, let's go on. Nothing happened. <laughs> You know, this is, this is not the beard or the face you're looking for. You know? I would have just had way too much fun with that whole situation. It sounds hilarious. But I also really like it when kids make fun of me a little bit. You remember Beth when that kid, I mean, he was a kid who, um, uh, what, what did they used to call it? B, the BD class. I'm sure there's. Oh, a right much nicer right. way that we say that behavior yes yeah, something it's like kids yeah. who basically had were in jail but in school mm -hmm. you know like mm -hmm. five kids one administrator mm -hmm. is in the same room all day well yeah. they let this kid out you know for band and um he really didn't want to be there but was also kind of glad to be there you know to not have to be in this space and yeah he obviously had stuff going on, you know, and maybe the snare drum was going to help a little bit and maybe it wasn't, but this kid and I were working through it. Um, but it was a class that was primarily sixth graders and they were an especially tiny crop. And this kid was an eighth grader and <laughs> very big for an eighth Super grader. tall. I think I and remember so this. he was like another adult in the room, you know, and he was having a day 
and um he <laughs> screamed at me some profanities and then told me i looked like miley cyrus on crack and i was like that's funny and i laughed for a while and then i pointed at the door and said jones and that was the illustrator he had to go to you know because like that's not gonna work <laughs> But like, there was no way for me to teach all those kids when he left. If we did not laugh about that all together, it was, I didn't look like Miley Cyrus on crack. I had real bad uh, blonde grow out going on, needed to get to the hairdresser and it was funny stuff. I wonder how that- Oh man. Yeah. I mean, Sometimes part of me is, is a little bit grateful that I wasn't teaching middle school during COVID because man, it would have been that much harder. I'm, I'm just guessing um, it would have been that much harder. But um, one of the things that, you know, has been kind of an issue that I've seen play out in a lot of aspects of music education over this year in particular. Um, and it's interesting, actually, it's interesting in various different regions of our country too. Um, like last week, for instance, or two weeks ago, for instance, I was at the essentially Ellington um, contest and festival in New York City for jazz bands because I got to go with my partner, Scott, and his band who got into the competition. Um, and I noticed a trend, and this is a national competition, I noticed a trend that ensembles that were in places that did hang on to masking and um, social distancing and online schooling and stuff like that, those kids had a major lack of, I, I'm not gonna say lack, but it was, a big difference in like stage presence and comfort mm. on stage. Yes. Um, it was drastic. It was drastic. The yeah. winning band was from Florida. Mm -hmm. um, and that says a lot, like that says so much, man. Like there's so much politically that we could go into here, but, yeah. um, and but they that is rock. so true about just, I mean, the only way you develop stage presence is performing a lot, right? Well, I have a freshman. Right. Yeah, and I have a freshman, and this was the same weekend she was at a jazz festival and yeah. I'm adjudicating a different jazz festival. Um, it was a big jazz festival weekend. Um, anyway, it was her first time ever at a jazz festival, whereas... Well, yeah. not at the middle school she goes to, but if she had gone to most middle schools, um, she would have had that experience numerous times before that, right? Which is how you develop that skill. Mic technique. And just like comfort on stage and yeah. improvising and yeah. um, projecting and yeah. all of this stuff that um, it's just crazy, like, it's causing me to really, really question, um, is, is this a good idea? Is having these types of like adjudicated judged events, is this a good idea anymore? Is this part of what we should be doing anymore? Um, and like, I mean, in like audition events, um, for instance, our state in Washington had to limit our um, are all state to one day. So I, I just like, as much as those kids that went to all state and got into all state rallied, I just don't think it was a representative performance mm -mm. Um, or opportunity because an all state is usually this opportunity to work with somebody for three days and have this like concert of like very heavy duty rep but they got one day and then out on stage. And it's just like, I don't know. What are your thoughts about? I wanna hear from Ruth and Dean about this. Do you wanna start? I'm so torn on some of this because if we wait until things are more normal, which we don't know that they ever will be, mm -hmm. then 
it's kind of a missed opportunity for even that one day. And I keep looking at it this way. It's like nothing that I've seen this year or in the last two years resembles at all what I grew up with or knew to be true or worked my degrees towards understanding or worked my professionalism towards understanding. Nothing looks like that. And my role has changed entirely. Yeah. And I think at first I was just, I was very anti some of this adjudication stuff. Also, also because it seems to bring out more of the, the classism mm-hmm. that already exists between different regions in a state and their socioeconomic makeup. I think it brings out that even more so now. Oh yeah. And that is not a good thing at all. Um, Because it seems like, you know, those who can continue to do and those who haven't been able to are still trying to like kind of, kind of claw their way back up a little bit. And I don't know that that's always a really positive experience. No. Um, and just in terms of all, all competitions in that way, I had a teacher once tell me, it was, he was like, you know, competitions are for race horses. It's not even for the jockeys, it's for the horses and the breeders. And you have to, you have to be willing to put something down if it isn't performing. And it just really resonated with me because it was like, yeah, competition world is just really, really brutal. And it's like, can we move to adjudication and clinic world where it's like, you know what, we're all getting back on our feet. Can we just have more opportunities to just work with people? And let's learn together. Yeah. Yes. And it's like, maybe we can have, you know, some, some site rating things and some, some directed topics, but it's like, the the competition thing right now i it feels I'm, like um, it feels like none of the rubrics changed regardless did, of what we've all been talking about this afternoon about they did not change yeah but not one bit actually <laughs> not one bit not one bit not one bit i mean i'm still looking at like the all-state audition and it's like the audition for getting into the seattle symphony so it's like And I'm not, you know, I mean, I've talked with people who have told me, people from the choral world who have told me, well, it's not as bad for choir. (laughs) What do you think, Dean? (laughs) There's a lot here. Yes, I know. There's a a lot here. Um, Okay, I'm going to go philosophical, but here we are. Okay. I'm not a, sorry, this is going to seem like it doesn't pertain, but it does. Um, I'm not a particularly religious person. I'm just not. So when I'm on my deathbed and Ruth is by my side, uh, I will know that I will miss Ruth so much, but there is a personal struggle that I will have to go through like me, me in order to come to terms with what's about to happen. Now that's if I have the opportunity to contemplate about what's about to happen, but this is an internal struggle. This is me trying to figure this out. And this is something that we start with in life. We have to fight to live in when we, when we're born and we have to fight to consider how we end our life. And it's a personal thing. The reason I'm mentioning this is um, I, I, Sometimes I'm better about this than, than sometimes I'm better or worse, but there's so much of this that we're talking about right now. That is a personal struggle. We are trying to figure out the best way to be the best self. We're trying to be our best selves. The reason I'm mentioning this is when it comes to a community organization, let's just say choir, let's just say choir. Um, I think it's folly to start to think that we need to be better than an outside entity, or we need to judge ourselves based upon an outside entity. Um, And when I'm thinking about choir, there are definitely some competitive interests involved that would feed on that. It's competitive. Okay, I'm going to really work hard. But if we're thinking again about 
students that judge themselves based upon their body image and all of this, whether or not they stack up to others, there is a benefit in simply understanding I'm competing against myself and I'm doing the best that I can and I'm going to do this. The same thing goes with a collective group. So I'm getting to the point, I swear. Uh, when it comes to uh, choirs, I, I, I don't, I would love, I, I love choirs, my choirs to listen to other choirs. Absolutely. It's wonderful and it's aspirational. But I tell you what, our choir, I love Richard Dance and I love Brian Gallant. We are not going to sound like PLU. We are not. And if we think that we're meant to sound like PLU, we are, we're just not going to match up. We're not going to match up. So can the WSU Concert Choir sound like the best version of the WSU Concert Choir? And we know what that is. We have problems with this. We have problems with this. We assess ourselves and we can do better and we can do better and we can do better. And you have triumphs with this. And yes, with that. yes. And we yeah. have successes. Yeah, we have successes. Absolutely. And so if we think about us being our best selves, we have nothing to worry about. So my formative teaching years, my first teaching gig was a long-term substitute position as a choir director at Southwest High School in Green Bay, Wisconsin. That's near where I grew up. And so it's, it's spring and it's January. And this uh, director has been uh, asked to go on administrative leave for some bad reasons. So you're, yeah, you're 23. You just uh, got done with your uh, student teaching. How about you take this awesome group that is going to competitions in Florida? Okay, uh, let's do that. We got second place. And that was second place it was so stupid how I didn't, I didn't write this tour, but here's how it worked. We did all this stuff, SeaWorld, blah, 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 blah. We performed, we got our critique. Let's get on the bus and let's go home. 24 hours of bus ride from Green Bay, Wisconsin. Oh my God. It was the worst bus ride ever. It's not because they got second place. Woohoo! It's that they didn't get first place and that killed them. I mean, it was just, it was just horrible. And I'm just thinking educational purposes, educational purposes. Did this serve us? No, no, they, they shut down. They, they really shut down. This wasn't, no. we had this success. We had this success. We had this success. No, it was simply, we didn't match up to this and we didn't match up to this. Sorry. So <laughs> like I said, a long answer, a lot of things, but in the end, as individuals, I think, and as choirs, as orchestras, as bands, we compete against our better selves. And I think we can also all agree that with that need to win competitions actually comes a true artistic stripping of anything that mm -hmm. is personal, individual, individual, yeah. art I mean, it is a total strippage of everything in ideal of some kind of perfection. Everything that makes you nothing. You. To do. Yeah, which has yeah. nothing to do with being an individual or artistry or music. I mean, it's just, it's a technical game then. I yeah. categorically uh, reject the idea that um, that competition is a is great for the concept of motivation sure yes kids get very motivated behind a competition yes for toxic reasons but for exactly. the bad reasons and they get equally motivated if not more so for healthy reasons to perform with guest artists or to collaborate or for all other and, kinds. It's just so lazy. And, it's so lazy. And the thing is, I, I think that part of this too, sometimes is thinking about internal versus external motivation. Like, look, I, I want to do better for me. I want to do better for us. I don't want to do better because it'll look good for others. Well, maybe I guess that's a little bit, but, but the WSU Concert Choir, as you mentioned, uh, Beth, had gone on a choir tour to the Seattle, uh, North Seattle area. And those students 
felt like felt the pressure like oh we got to perform here we're in front of people and we did uh eight concerts over over the course of the three days they come back beaming just beaming that we and they knew that we could have done this better we could have done this better and we came home and we shaped up for our spring concert but that experience filled them with the spirit that we're hoping for the validation that they want and the understanding of how we could do better as individuals. And we weren't set up, uh, we weren't, um, an arbitrary yardstick was not set in front of us to which by we were compared. We just did our thing and we were happy that people liked what we did. And that felt good. Well, and I look at this too. It's like, so, I mean, as musicians inherently, we are goal oriented people. And as we found during COVID, if you take a goal away, like a concert or a performance mm-hmm. or, you know, a playing exam, whatever it is, we actually, we, we kind of falter in our preparations because there's a goal. But if that goal is almost just entirely wrapped up in like, how does it make you feel? How does it make your audience feel? Like, Who's it for in terms of like the greater good? Mm-hmm. So many, so many more rewards ever than if you put all of your eggs into a competition basket and it's like, you know, I don't know if you're going to win, but I mean, you should feel good about your preparation. You should feel good about how you did. And it's like, it's not the same if, as if you did like a Richard Myers giving Bach thing. Right. At a right. Center, yeah. And they really prepared for that performance and they went in and they taught senior citizens how to play their instruments and they got to see this this whole thing come together that's totally different and it means i think so much more to the students so much more. i think it's that is the the lifelong music performance that we're after from our students it's like the the life changing little spark i think probably yeah. um and one of the conundrums I find with this is that we all kind of know that, like, I would venture to say that the, the thousands of people that listen to the Beth and Kelly show on and off when they click on our shows, they probably know a lot of what we're saying. They know that deep down in their heart, but they're like, I'm locked in though. I got to go to this adjudicated festival. I got to audition these kids for- It's expected of me. Yeah, I got to audition these kids for Allstate. And I just want to point out like honor ensembles seem like this amazing, you know, deep experience, but the people that don't get in are on the outside of the fence and they are like, okay, well, I- suck so I don't deserve this cool like pinnacle experience with this amazing guest conductor I don't deserve this because I didn't get in and so like these are the structures that are in place we all know we all know that this is bad but then we continue promoting these events and for those of us who are in leadership positions in our in our organizations that host these events. Hello. What are we going to do about this? I mean, what are we going to (laughs) do? Well, I have some ideas about what we're going to do. And I have been trying not to talk too much because something is going on with my allergies. I hope it's my allergies, but I am losing my voice so easily these days. Oh yeah. I have a two hour gig tonight without a break. And I've been singing a little more on the gigs than usual. And mm-hmm. like, I am all, like you can hear, I'm losing my voice right now. But anyway, you got something I, have, to say. I have to say this because um, it just happened today. But um, my former high school teacher, who is Beth's partner and a very good friend of mine, Scott um, announced his retirement, which is a big news around these parts. And so... I was asked by the local reporter for the Seattle Times to 
be interviewed for a piece that he's writing. And of, you know, I've got the anxiety, like, what is this guy going to ask me? And how could I possibly summarize? I know I'm going to be asked to like summarize Scott's impact. Like how, like, how can you even, it's like trying to describe how and why you love your mom. Like what, like how would, how does a person do that? I don't have those skills anyway. <clears throat> so he, um, somehow it comes up that I played in one of Scott's more famous bands, the 1997 band. And people know of this band in these parts because we like won first place at everything that year. But um, so Paul, the interviewer, the reporter and I were just talking about this band and he said, oh, you guys won all the things that year. And I said, you know what? We probably did. I don't recall. What I do remember is, and then went on to list, you know, different musical experiences that we had together, or the fact that that year Scott had me putting set lists together and like these different types of experiences. And there are like it half of that band. Life. Yeah. Like half of that band has gone on to be professional musicians. And um, anyway, those are the things that I remember having left a program like that, right? And that changed your life. Like I am yeah. just guessing, Kelly, that you left yeah. you left high school and you had no like there was no question in your mind about what you were gonna do, right? No, no, I knew I knew going, I knew in middle school that I was gonna be a teacher. And then when I was in high school and a student of Scott, I think it was my sophomore year. I decided I, I was going to be a music teacher. So I basically, Scott didn't know, but I, I sort of feel like I was studying his teaching, almost like I was a student teacher for three years because um, I was so focused on doing that work. So when this guy's asking me about how, you know, now I'm responding to my education and creating um like in reaction to type programming, for example, I do a lot of all girl programming. And that's not, that is not in any way a, a reaction against what I received. You're all frozen on my screen. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear me. Yeah, we can. You were all frozen. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> that was not in reaction to like the education I received has, it is in no way a reaction to Scott. It is a reaction to, I had this incredible experience that changed my life. And now when I look at who was there with me, there was only one other girl. And I know it wasn't Scott that's responsible for that. There must be something else at play here. And looking at systems mm -hmm. that we're all kind of stuck within and looking at um, just ways we can make this more available to more people because it's so awesome. Yeah. But like, I never even considered that I would have to explain that. Like we all, don't we all know that music teaching and learning music is life-changing and amazing? Of course we know that. Then don't we want it for as many kids as possible? Okay, well then if so, we probably need to look at these systems that have kept them out. One of them being systems like Allstate <laughs> and what it does with class of yep. students and these types of things. Uh, anyway, I'm, I'm muting myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, no, it's, it's true. And it's, it's also crazy too, because what we do, we, we know the benefits. Actually, outside people know the benefits, but the bean counters need the metrics. And one of right. the only ways to get those metrics is through these kind of um, audited events that show how many students are getting through. And, you know, God bless Washington State when they started actually like you, you have to have the allowance for every region to have kids available 
because we can't just have nothing but Seattle kids. Like, right. there are kids in another part of the state who are working really, really hard, but have different advantages. Right. And, but so there's, there's the weird administrative side of me that understands where some of those metrics come in. Sure. Or how we got there. I get it. But I, I, and I'm not, I'm not in agreement with that at all, but I also would like to see us be able to move away from music makes everybody feel good. Therefore it's valid. And we don't work very hard because we get to do what we love and that should be payment enough. Like there's part of me that's also like, I want to move away from it's of course, it's amazing that we get to do what we love. But as I keep asking, like my older brother, I'm like, where did you screw up that you're stuck in a career that you don't do what you love? Like what option did you miss somewhere along the way? Because we all have options. Mm-hmm. And I realize our options come with, <laughs> they, they come with some, uh, some challenges, shall we say. Yeah. And yeah. part of it is just not being always understood for the actual value of our impact, which I would like to say that COVID brought us closer to understanding the value of our impact because all of a sudden, boom, it was gone. Mm -hmm. And I think that was felt in a pretty hefty way. And I don't know if it was good that we did so many of these video things, or if that mm-hmm. actually was bad. Oh my God. Kind of I don't think it was positive. I think we just added a whole new level of expectation. And also like that glee meant like we just bring them in the room and it's ready to go. Yeah. Like not to mention that each one of those videos costs about five grand. So only privileged communities of folks were able to make those types of videos it was either that privileged community of folks that were able to do that or an educator that worked right really hard to to try to figure that all and probably harmed themselves and like are probably not recovered yet and need to take a sabbatical next year yeah Yeah. for example yeah just saying yeah so yeah you know uh this, uh, this audition process, it's, it really goes, it really goes back to how can we come up with uh, quality education experiences for all? I mean, it just, I'm sorry. And I, I know that that's very a, a simplistic way to say it, but I, you know, I look at this and I just think, okay, so there is this kid that comes in that has not had three years of voice lessons has not understood, not understood, has not had the opportunity to have someone help shape a classical Western music sound. And now we're saying that their sound is not valid in our system. Right. And the, the challenge in this is, and it's, and it is a challenge. It is a challenge for those folks that do have that opportunity to have an understanding that let's come up with an experience that will push you and be transformative. And at the same time, have a system put in place whereby those students that, for example, in in our world, when we have auditions, there are a couple of, uh, there's sometimes a binary of students that come in. And that is those students that read and have this, this tone and this understanding of uh, classical uh, bel canto singing. And then this is a very gross generalization. And then there are these students that, also, that come in and maybe don't have that, but just have crazy ears. You know, yeah, right. they just they just understand this. Like, look, would you do me a favor? I'm going to play the short melody. Would you sing it back? Done. Just like that. And if we are a choir or an organization that values you learn this music um, by sight and that's it, it's done. Then we have trouble. If yeah. we can provide educational techniques to bring people up to that level in terms of 
look, can I give you a practice track? And you're right there with everyone else. Isn't that just as valid? Right. Absolutely. But not to some. Right. You know, and so that is the challenge. That is the challenge that we're facing. I'd love to say I have, hey, I tell you what, I get a book that's talking all about how we finish this off and I have the magic solution and here we go. And I don't have that. Absolutely. You just stop doing auditions at my work. And already I had taken the audition process that I inherited and like radically shifted it to be like as inclusive and fun and not stressful as possible. But then we just, after COVID, we just got rid of them. Yeah. I just convinced everyone that it was, um, a an experiment worth trying for these reasons and you know what happened every single kid just put themselves in a class where they are having fun and learning yeah and i will say i'm a huge fan of that yeah there's part of me that thinks okay what are we doing with our collegial music degrees and if they've never done an audition before, right? Don't have any kind of any kind of standard in terms of where they fit into. We call it self in society, which mm-hmm. is just an awareness of where your ability levels not compete but compare to your peers, so that we are relatively certain that we can place you in a job when you're done. Mm-hmm. Oh. If we remove too many of those, then I worry that, you know, it, it becomes this weird free-for-all in which, I mean, it is a specialized field. I just wonder, it's like, do we start looking at then like, so it's like elementary to middle school, no competitions, no auditions, you be you, enjoy what you do, learn to love the love of playing. And middle school into high school, maybe there, there's like one audition if there's like a top group and maybe the top group competes, maybe it doesn't. Maybe it's just, it's just kids who have more opportunities for lessons and just can focus on more serious music. And maybe that's just written up in the description of the course but at least a couple of opportunities so that they're, they're like their first college audition is not like, yeah, well, uh, I had no idea. Well, and that's, well, that's yet another mechanism for keeping people out, you know, the, the college audition process. And there are individuals that did not get opportunities that would make a good music major if they yeah. had some guidance or if someone let them in and then a little bit of guidance through some of the coursework to like get up to speed, you know, or coursework that does speak to their culture or their style of music, which is another thing where like, you know, so many, so many students that are total pros at one type of music that they learned in the community outside of the walls of the classroom, Mm -hmm. but when it comes to the walls of the classroom, there ain't no place for you. You got to check yourself at the door. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like a total conundrum. It's like, from my perspective in this like public schools, like pre-college world, I'm like to, to the college world. I'm like, change the, change the audition requirements, please universally change them now, change them and like remove them or what, I don't know. It's not, I mean, I understand like, yes, you're preparing people for a career. That's important, but, oh man. Um, like that's, that's kind of where I'm at. Like it's a huge amount of thought work that needs to start happening. Mm-hmm. It is. It's it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a new world of music making, and it's certainly a new world of music education. And why is it important? And again, I think during COVID, we realized that what resonates the most with us with music is our ability to self-identify with what we're hearing, mm-hmm. and that's very personal. 
for and sure. It's, it's not taught and it's not canonized. It just is what it is. Yeah. Sorry, I stepped on you. No, I was, I was, I was just thinking. Um, sorry, this is gonna sound like a plug. There's no one that came into WSU, no one that came into WSU at the auditions this year that we said you did not play that scale well. You mm -hmm. that that concerto excerpt wasn't working well. Mm -hmm. There's no one that we said no, let's not. Um, but I think colleges and universities throughout the United States are trying to figure out this is the good fight. This is the good fight that every single university and college in the United States cannot think of when you leave here, you're ready for the opera stage. You're ready for the symphony. Right. You're ready to be a solo. You need to get your combo together because you got everything together that you're going to tour, you know, whatever. And there is a, there is a, a shift in paradigm that we don't always necessarily need to think of when you leave our program, you're going to be ready for X, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. because the more and more that we're seeing students is they're learning the skills that we're giving them. And we can continue to shape how those skills work based upon the students that we have, mm -hmm. but then they go out and they do just so many wonderful and interesting and unique things. Nowadays, it's just like, look, you have some interesting skills. You're going it, to, it, it's not going to be a side hustle. This is going to be your hustle because you know what you're doing. You know, I, I, I just think that, yeah, we're, we're going away from the model that, look, if you're a violinist, you're going to come in. And the only thing that you're going to do that's worthwhile is the symphony. You know we what I mean? We have to be away we're from going that. Away from that. Symphony. We yeah. have to. <laughs> we're, we're definitely moving towards the era of like, is it really a music degree or is it like an entrepreneurship degree? And it should and, be. And I think it should be. Yeah. I think it should be like, you know, and I just think about myself and my upbringing and I'm like, pretty much everything I do now is a direct result of me being like, not necessarily invited in or whatever. Like I have like created a whole lot of my success in like protest of whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, I've had to get all of my own entrepreneurial skills on my own. All of my improvisational skills, Ruth, I know we've discussed this before. <laughs> like all of my improvisational skills were acquired me by myself in my room listening to music by myself and like mm -hmm. teaching myself because no one else was willing to teach me and like I just yeah it would be great if this holistic like here's how you do it like in the real world kind of thing because the world has changed and so much is at our fingertips right now and the kids that we teach today are going to change the paradigm they're going to change oh. the definition of everything a million thanks to our listeners followers and subscribers the support we receive monetarily and otherwise helps us to be able to spend time creating a quality product and it allows us to tap into partnerships and resources to which we wouldn't normally have access we are stoked about the journey of learning we have ahead of us, and we are delighted you've decided to join.